Thank you so much, everyone, for being here in honor of Jesus Christ. You know, that's really what this gathering is. Anytime we gather, we're not here to lift up a church, lift up a worship team, lift up a pastor. We're here to lift up Jesus Christ. And uh, today is a, a historical day. I want you to know that. You know, we sometimes look at these kind of things as if the church kind of made up these kind of things and uh, originated Palm Sunday and so on. These are historical events. These things happen. They're attested to. In fact, the events of this week that begin this Holy Week, which really just means, the word holy just means set apart. This week is set apart in human history as the time when Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem riding on that donkey in fulfillment of a scripture of Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes to you, righteous and with salvation is he, humble and riding on a donkey. And he was fulfilling scripture. And this is attested to not only in the Bible, uh, but in the Jewish historian Josephus. Other historical documents make mention of the events of this week. Friends, this is history that we're proclaiming to you. And it's a powerful, powerful week. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews calls our salvation, all that Jesus did for us, it's called such a great salvation. Therefore, that's, I was not very clever in, in a new series title. I just took it from the Bible. How's that? The writer of Hebrews says, it's called such a great salvation. Why? One, because we have a glorious Savior. Amen. We're going to focus on that today. We're just going to focus on Jesus, who he is. He's a glorious Savior. On Friday, we will focus on the fact that he's not only a glorious Savior, he became the perfect sacrifice. And then on next Sunday, that we might receive an eternal inheritance. Our salvation is great because we have a glorious Savior who became the perfect sacrifice that we might receive an eternal inheritance. Guys, if this does not wake you up, nothing will. You have no spiritual pulse. <laughs> but listen, I pray that you be encouraged because Jesus did these things for us. This is a week like none other. The people on that day, as Jesus rode down the side of the Mount of Olives on that donkey, they began, as we already saw, and that you most likely know, they began to take their, their, clo their coats, their cloaks, some of their clothing, put it out on the road. It was a, something done in honor of royalty. And they took some of the palms as well, and they threw that down. And Jesus, uh, and Jesus is clearly uh, presenting himself as their king and fulfillment of Scripture. And uh, the people were saying, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, from Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. And they are, of course, uh, a lot of their fervor, we know, is because they wanted deliverance from Rome, but he was actually there to deliver them from a, a greater oppression than Rome. He was to set them free from their own sins that would keep them from God forever. And some of the crowd that day, some of the religious leaders said to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Those aren't the things you should have them say to you. That, those things apply to God, apply to the Messiah. <laughs> and of course, Jesus said, if, you know, those famous words, if these don't praise me, you know, the very rocks will cry out. I'm glad we gave the rocks the day off today. <laughs> and uh, 
every time we gather. Let's give the rocks the day off. Because, but, the, but the point is, this is deserving of praise. Jesus is saying, if, I am so worthy of praise. The context that I'd like to speak to you about today, just briefly, I'm, we're going to go quick today. I know you've heard that before. Uh, yeah, you've, you've, you've heard that line. Some of you aren't buying that. The context I'd like to use is John chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 5. But I'd also like to give you the context. Jesus uh, had come to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. This is early on in his ministry. He had healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years near the pool of Bethesda. And um, the man was healed, and Jesus told him, you know, pick up your pallet and walk. Okay, so the guy did that. He's healed. He picks up his pallet. He's walking. It's on the Sabbath. And some of the religious leaders say, hey, 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 whoa, you can't carry that pallet. Today's the Sabbath. And he says, well, the man who healed me said, carry, pick up your, your pallet. And who told you to do that? And he finds out eventually that it's Jesus, and they start to persecute Jesus because he did that on the Sabbath. They thought... That was work, and you should do no work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said this to them. He said, my father is working until today, till this very hour, and I myself am working. And then that really got him steamed. Because not only was he doing these things on the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father. Wow. And then we get into the context of which... Jesus begins speaking to them, and of which I just want to put it out to you, Jesus is a glorious Savior. There's no one in human history like Jesus Christ. There is no religious leader like Jesus Christ. There is no one that's ever walked the planet like Jesus Christ. Fully human, like you and I, but yet fully divine. And that's what he's going to try to tell to people. So let me give you six reasons very quickly why Jesus is a glorious Savior, right out of John chapter 5. We're going to start at the 19th verse, and the first reason that Jesus says is that Jesus is equal to God. This is why he is a glorious Savior, and I get that from verses 19 and 20. It says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus says, I see what God sees. I do the things God does. The Father loves me and shows me the things he's doing, and then I do them. And you're going to see greater works than that healing that I just performed on this uh, man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. You're going to see even greater things than that. Friends, in the Bible, there is a separation between God and man. You, you know this. This is simple. This is 101, Christianity 101. But Isaiah the prophet, uh, God is speaking through him, and he says, Know this. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. In other words, Jesus is saying, but yet, I have the same thoughts. I have, 
I do the same things. The things God does, I do. He's saying I'm equal with God. Friends, Jesus is a glorious Savior because he's perfectly human, but yet he's also perfectly divine. Throughout the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus is equal to God. He received worship. What human being receives worship? To know him was to know God. To see him was to see God, Jesus said. To receive him was to receive God. To believe in him was to believe in God. To hate him was to hate God. Friends, Jesus is a glorious Savior because he's equal to God. Secondly, Jesus is a glorious Savior because he always does the will of the Father. Always. And I uh, write back to verse 19 again. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord or according to his own will, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever God says is all right for him to do. Whatever he authorizes. There's within the Trinity, they're, they're co-equal in their uh, relationship. But yet there's a structure within that of which the Son submits to the Father. Okay? And he says, I always do the will of God, my Father. In his divinity and in his humanity. He never acted, in other words, he never used his miraculous powers outside of what the will of God would be for him to do. That's why when Satan tempted him, says, throw yourself off and his angels will, you know, catch you and all that kind of stuff. Or turn these stones into bread. Did he have the ability to do that? Yes, he did. But he didn't do it because it's outside of the will of God for him. Okay? And as a human being, he always did the will of the Father. Amazing statement, he said. He said, I always, later on in John, John chapter 8, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Could you say that statement? What human being can say, I have always in my life, always, never been one slip, not even once, I always did the things that are pleasing to God. You see how incredible this is, the things he's saying? He's a glorious Savior. And that perfection allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice. We'll talk about that on Friday. Jesus always does the will of the Father. Number three, Jesus is a glorious Savior because he's the giver of life. Verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And then down in verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Only God can give physical and spiritual life. That's a prerogative of deity. But yet he says, I can give life. The Father has granted to me, given me that authority as well. He created everything. Remember when he said, I lay down my life, no one takes it from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it back up again. What human being can just say that? Friends, he's a glorious savior. He has power. He gives life. He's the giver of life. He created everything, visible and invisible, the Bible says. Thrones and powers, all things that were created through him and for him. He's the giver of life. What a powerful statement. Jesus is also a glorious Savior because he is the supreme and final judge. Look at verses 22 and 23. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then down at verse 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. (laughs) We have in our country a system of local, state, federal courts, and ultimately things will go to the Supreme Court. That's as far as it can go. Jesus is the Supreme Court. He's the final and supreme judge over all people. And God has given him that right for two important reasons, John says. One is that all may honor the Son. I'm not going to ask you for specifics, but how many of you had to go to court? <laughs> don't, don't, don't fill in any blanks. I had to go to court once. Very innocuous reason. Actually, Linda had just had our first uh, son, and she was called for jury duty. And she wasn't even, she was recovering. And I actually had to go on her behalf with a doctor's excuse and so forth. She was not able to go. And it, courtrooms are intimidating places. If you've been in a courtroom, you know, you know what, what do we do when the judge comes in? You know, we stand up. And when I, it was my turn, they call Linda Garber and I have to go up and I'm here, judge on behalf of Linda Garber. And the lady's going, she's looking at, my goodness. They're recording my words. It's not, you know. I said, Judge, you know, my wife just had a baby. She's not able. I have a doctor's excuse. But listen, I didn't say, Judge, this is really stupid. You know, you'd have me come in here. I mean, the woman just had a baby. Can't we just fill out a form or something? What's the matter with you? I did not approach it that way. And I have to tell you, I was a little nervous just standing there doing this simple task. And of course, she was excused and everything was fine. But God says, or John says here, or Jesus actually, all this judgment, God has given me the right to judge so that all will honor me like they honor God. He's going to be the judge and we're going we're to honor him because of that. That's one reason. Then the second reason is he's the final and supreme judge because he is the son of man. You've heard that title, haven't you? Son of man. Sometimes we simply think it's the kind of the human title of Jesus Christ. Son of God is who he is in his deity. Son of man is who he is in his humanity. And there's an aspect that that's true. But the biblical, when Jesus calls himself the son of man, there is a deeper meaning to that taken from a prophecy that Daniel had given and uh, it's, it's found in Daniel, uh, where is it? There's my notes. Okay, Daniel 7. And it says this. Here, it's on the screen for you. I saw in the night visions, Daniel writes, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, meaning God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus is saying and claimed to be the son of man, he's saying I'm a fulfillment of that scripture. I'm the one to whom all authority will be given. I am the final judge. I am the one who will have the everlasting kingdom. So it's much deeper than just saying speaking of Jesus humanity. It's speaking as of his authority as God's son, the Messiah to rule and to reign. Jesus is also a glorious savior because he has the words of eternal life. He has the words of eternal life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He has the words of eternal life. He's the way to eternal life. There's no other way. You might say, well, what about other religions? Don't they have a way too? Don't, don't all roads just lead to the same place? We believe different things. Jesus said, no. I have the words of eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. I'm not saying that to put down anybody. I'm just saying that's what Jesus said. That's who he is. There's, you won't find eternal life somewhere else. You won't find it in another philosophy, another religion. You just won't find it because he is the way and the truth and the life. Sometimes people will leave because they don't accept that. Or they say, well, that's too narrow-minded. I can't help it. That's, that's who Jesus is. How can I change that? No one can change that. People in Jesus' day left him when he said these kind of things. He looked at his disciples and said, you know, do you want to go too? <laughs> Ouch. And Peter said, no, Lord, where would we go? And what did he say? You have the words of eternal life. It's with you. I'm sticking with you. Friends, we have the greatest message to proclaim. Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. You want to live forever? Anybody want to live forever? I do. <laughs> Billy Graham said he wasn't scared of death. It was just the dying part he didn't, wasn't too fond of, you know. But I want to live forever. I want to be with God in his kingdom. I want to be with this glorious Savior. Do you know that the Bible says that the sound of believers for all eternity is going to be like the sound of the mighty rushing waters? Have you been to, you've been to Niagara Falls? And you hear that... Or this peal of thunder, this loud thunder that peals. In Revelation 19, it uses those two metaphors. Like heaven's going to be like that. People praising God and honoring God and worshiping God. It's going it's to be like this massive sound. And you won't need earplugs. You know? And it's going to be glorious. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Don't go anywhere else. Don't turn to anyone else. They won't lead you anywhere and sixthly, Jesus is glorious. Lastly, because he will raise the dead. Jesus said, I will raise the dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, verse 25, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Down to verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Listen, Jesus, this verse confirms that there is life after death. There is life after death. Every person will be affected because it says all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And every person after they die will fall into one of two categories. Those who are saved and go to heaven, those who are condemned and spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. That's the reality. Jesus said, I will raise the, uh, the dead. Everyone in the tombs are going to hear my voice. You see, we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit, a soul. 
and we have a physical body. Death is nothing more than a separation of your soul, your spirit, from your physical body. But someday, Jesus says, he's going to reunite your soul with a new, immortal, if you're a believer in Christ, body. And he's going to do so. He's going to, he's going to call, and you're going to hear his voice from the grave. He, I don't understand it all. But in a moment, we're going to, he, he's going to, we're going to be changed forever. That's what he says. And everybody's going to hear his voice. You know, I like to think of that verse when I'm at, at the cemetery. When I'm at a grave of one of my loved ones. I love to look at that spot and say, this is going to open up someday. <laughs> this is going to open up someday. I was, uh, over the, this past week, my... Uh, one of my daughters-in-law, their, uh, her grandfather passed away. We went to the funeral up in Michigan. He was 94 years old, served in the army. He landed on Omaha Beach. He said the only way he survived was that God was determined that he live. That's the only explanation he had. He said, um, you know the movie Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan? He said that was pretty real, but it was worse than that. It was worse than that, he said. He would leave a spot and a, a, a bomb would go off. Or, and all he could say, God was determined that I live. And he doesn't know. And the rest of his life he lived just serving Christ and honoring Christ. We went to, he had a military burial at a, at a national cemetery there in Michigan. It was a very moving spot. Those of you, there's one here in Rittman uh, that many of you have been to. But the, this one here, just rows and rows of these white uh, gravestones, you know, just in perfect order. And I thought, someday, everyone in those, they're not in the tomb right now. You know what I'm saying? But someday they're going to hear the voice of Jesus say, rise. Rise. And each of them will have one of two destinies. And we proclaim to you, believe on Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Give your heart to him, your life to him. Serve him, love him. Believe on him. Jesus said, I will raise the dead. Do you believe him? Amen. I will raise the dead. Next, uh, next week we're going to celebrate Jesus coming out of the tomb. I keep listening to this song Paul Zentner gave me and I'm trying to keep thinking whether we can do it. My wife doesn't like it. I like it. <laughs> it's kind of got this... Uh, what's the name of that song, Paul? Ain't, Ain't No Grave. Ain't No Grave Gonna Keep My Body Down. So it kind of has like this little bluegrass kind of thing going on, but it's got this drive. Boom, boom. Ain't no grave gonna keep my body down you know <laughs> I think we're gonna do it honey I'm just trying to prepare you publicly and just uh, because and then there's a part you know there's a part that says if he walked out of the tomb I'm gonna walk out too if he walked out of the tomb I'm gonna walk out too and it keeps building you know and it's going oh we, we're going to have to do it. <laughs> next week. Next week, we've got to do it. Just a little bit of it. Now I put myself on that spot. I hope we can do it. <laughs> but listen, Jesus will raise the dead. Friends, 
Jesus is a glorious Savior. Let's just review. He is equal with God because he always does the will of the Father. He is the giver of life. He is the supreme and final judge. He has the words of eternal life. He will raise the dead. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Just like last week when uh, Pastor Sean was here just telling us creation demands a response. It does. And so does Jesus Christ. The perfect revelation. It demands your response. You can't, that's why, you know, on that hillside, you know, and the Pharisees say, hey, tell you to calm down, calm down. No. I'm not going to calm down. I'm not going to tell them to calm down. Because if they calm down, the rocks will have to praise me. Now, very quickly, Jesus, oh my. I'm going to just do this real fast, Heather, okay? He knows that if he just says these things about himself, that people would say, well, who are you to say those things? You know? And even in the Old Testament scriptures, every fact was be, to be determined by at least two witnesses, okay? never by just a single witness. So Jesus very quickly in the rest of chapter 5 offers some witnesses for what he's saying. The first is God the Father. Verse 32 and 37, there is another who bears witness about me. He's speaking of the Father, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. We heard the voice of the Father at his baptism. We heard the voice of the Father at the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Do what? Listen to him. Second witness is John the Baptist. He says, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. And John would say of him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, John the Baptist is a witness of who I am. Third witness, Jesus works. Verse 36, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He turned water into wine. He healed. He fed the multitudes. He walked on water, gave sight to a blind man. Raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is saying, listen, if you don't, the works that I do bear witness of who I am. Witness number four, the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But they, the, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he says, the very scriptures speak of me. And the last witness is Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Five witnesses, God the Father, John the Baptist, Jesus works, the scriptures, Moses. And next week, the most powerful witness of all. He rose up out of the tomb. (laughs) Friends, that full verse in Hebrews 2 that I quoted to you just partially says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I just took the little phrase, such a great salvation. But the writer to Hebrews says, how will you escape? What hope for you is there if you neglect what God has provided for you in Jesus Christ? And the clear uh, implication is, you won't escape. None of you can leave here saying, I didn't know. I hadn't heard. I didn't know that I needed to submit my life to Jesus Christ. No, you, you've heard. He's the Lord of all. And he wants to give to you eternal life and he commands us to believe. Believe. And friends, oh, another application would simply be worship him. Worship him. 
Do not neglect the salvation he's provided and worship him. Live for him. Honor him. He's worthy to be honored. He's worthy to be obeyed. Obey him. Trust in him. Tell of him. That's what we're all about. Friends, we have a glorious Savior. And throughout this week, as you're praying and talking with him, uh, express that to him. Tell him that you praise him. Praise him in your heart. Tell him that you love him. Give him thanks this week for riding into Jerusalem. People thought that he was going to deliver them. He knew he was riding in. He knew exactly what was happening to him. Nothing took him by surprise. He rode in willingly to die for us and to rise again for us so that someday we can, we can walk out of that tomb too. Let me pray. Jesus, you are a glorious, glorious Savior. On this Palm Sunday, we praise you and honor you. We love you and uh, we would we just humbly give you our praise that you are so rightful to have. Receive our worship today, God. Stir our hearts throughout this week. Give us an attitude of thanksgiving and praise to you. Help the events of this past, uh, of the week that took place some 2,000 years ago, help it to grip our hearts. And thank you so much for the hope that you have brought to our lives. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who needs to believe in you, would you give them grace to reach out to you in humility, simplicity, just confess that you're, you're the Savior, that they, that they have sinned and deserve judgment, but yet you have offered yourself as a substitute for them. Let them just have faith to trust that and believe that and then do that work in their hearts of cleansing them from sin and allowing them to be, have a spiritual birth, be born again spiritually and let them follow you. And for the Christian here, oh God, help us to follow you in, in love and worship and adoration. What a wonderful Savior you are. You're a great and glorious God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.